Welcome to the Fashion Alumni Podcast, the place where successful fashion professionals share their career journeys to inspire your success. I'm your host, Dr. Melissa Manuel. Hello and welcome back to the Fashion Alumni Podcast. I hope you all are doing well and taking care of yourselves. We have a great show coming up today. I'm excited to introduce Stephen Richards Jr. He's the owner and founder of Richards Bespoke in Nashville, Tennessee. Stephen is a certified master bespoke clothier And I know you're looking forward to getting to know more about him and about the work that he does. So let's get started. Welcome to the show, Stephen. Hi there. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. I'm glad that you were able to make it. And first of all, many of our audience members may not know exactly what a bespoke clothier is. So tell our audience, what does it mean to be a Certified Master Bespoke Clothier. Yes. So bespoke is a British term. Uh, it's basically something that's made for somebody else. It's most closely tied to suiting, um, but it can be pretty much anything. So bespoke glasses, it's, you know, they're made for your frame of your face, but for bespoke suiting, it's a, a very uh, particular type of measuring system where everything's done from scratch by hand. Um, so it's all original patterns for your suits, sport coats, uh, shirts, slacks, you know, garments like that. When you say original patterns, you actually take all the measurements on the body to create the suit? Yes, we take a minimum of about 40 measurements. Um, so everything's traced out in original pattern. Um, it's, it's literally a piece of paper uh, that basically will be used to trace out your measurements uh, on the fabric. So uh, made to measure uh, or ready to wear type garments, they're starting with an existing paper pattern. So, kind of like to simply put it, it's kind of like altering another suit to closely fit you. Um, everything's still, you know, put together, but it's not exactly to your measurements, or at least all of your measurements. I remember you saying that you had an apprenticeship because being a certified master bespoke clothier is very different from just being a designer. So tell us about that apprenticeship and some of the things you learned there. Yes. So I apprenticed under uh, two different gentlemen. Um, The one that first got me started in the industry, um, I trained under him for about six months. And then as soon as I kind of figured out the process for their suit making, um, it, it didn't quite fit what I was looking for. And I uh, was recruited by a, a, a guy up in Minneapolis who took me under his wing, uh, showed me kind of the ins and outs of bespoke tailoring and trained under him for a little while. And then uh, I guess it was about a little less than five years ago uh, that I started the company here in Nashville. Were you always interested in making clothing? Or suiting, rather? Um, not really. In fact, uh, it all came from my passion of just uh, men's clothing in particular, suiting. Um, ever since I was little, I've looked for any excuse to wear a suit. Is um, that right? <laughs> yeah, it was my, my dad at a very early age. He's, he's just as stylish as me, and he's the one that kind of, kind of got me hooked on it. And so, I mean, it went all the way back till uh, high school. I won Best Dressed for uh, my senior class. And it's just, it's always been something that I've been passionate about. And, it, you know, not just suiting, just really, you know, anything that I wear, um, it's, it's enjoyable for me. And so when I uh, 
I was kind of looking for that next step in my life career wise. And I thought about it and I was like, well, there's really the only thing I, I think I can do better than anybody I know. And that was designing outfits, clothing. Um, I purchased many suits in the past, but wasn't exactly happy with the, either the process, the fit, the quality. Um, so that's when I discovered the world of, of custom and bespoke and, and fell in love with the process. And originally I was like, well, I can, you know, maybe do this as a hobby and it just be something I have in the background because I didn't think that I could actually, it would be sustainable to make a living out of. And then little did I know, you know companies slowly started growing and then it was my full-time job after about a year. Nice. Nice. Tell us how your process became different from what you saw already in the market. So the the first, um, I guess, taste of this industry is I was actually using a made-to-measure manufacturer. And I couldn't quite wrap my, my brain around exactly how it worked. And, you know, with the majority of my clients coming in with very broad shoulders and a a smaller midsection, uh, you can only alter a paper pattern so much uh, so that it it wouldn't fit them the way that they wanted to, especially, you know, nowadays, how everything's a little bit more trim and modern. Um, and then my, my design options were kind of limited. So I only had a specific uh, certain type of lapel styles or pockets, buttons, uh, even down to fabric and you know, everything that we would use would be in house. And, you know, I, I probably only had about 10 fabric books at the time. And, you know, Nashville is a, a very big, small town. Yeah. <laughs> so you can't really sell the same thing to too many people. Otherwise, they're going to start running into each other in public. So I, I wanted more options. And that's when I discovered the, the world of bespoke because we, we source fabrics from all over the world. And anybody that comes in for an appointment, you know, I, I tell them, if you can't find what you're looking for, we will be able to find it. It's somewhere out there and, and we can get our hands on it. Um, we probably got over, and I haven't counted in quite some time, but we have well over 200 fabric books uh, just in-house. And that's one of the reasons I don't travel as much to homes and offices, but people come here because, you know, once they see it, they realize it's it's a lot of choices and you can't exactly pack them up in a suitcase and and go around town without, uh, you know, forgetting some of the books that you might need. And right. so the world of bespoke was just the options. I mean, pretty much are endless. I've had clients to come in that, you know, they were graphic designers and, and they sketched a picture of a suit that they wanted, whether it was the pocket styles and buttons. Um, and the beauty about it is that as, as long as we have a direction to, to head in, you know, we can make it happen. So it's it's nice because at, at this time, you know, a lot of people ask, you know, do you do women's? And I said, yes, that's actually something that's, you know, growing pretty rapidly with us. Yeah. And, you know, it doesn't matter size, height, shape, anything. Uh, we can fit you, you know, as long as, as you're willing to go through the measurement process and the design process, uh, we can make something for you. When your client comes in for the first time, walk us through the experience that they have. Yeah, so at the very beginning, we'll sit down uh, downstairs and talk through what they're looking for, whether it's, you know, their wedding suit or tux, or if it's, you know, a business person that needs it for everyday use, or if they travel a lot, um, or just a, a go-to suit for attending weddings or um, dinner functions. And now it looks a little bit different with COVID because, you know, you're not going to as many things in public. Right. Um, but I really, it's the consultation is really important to me because I want to, first figure out what it is they're looking for. Um, if it's just, you know, a, a 
go-to suit for weddings. I typically know kind of the route to take of, you know, ones that are a little bit more subtle in, in color and, and pattern, just so that if you do have to wear it, you know, a few times a year, it doesn't always look like you're wearing the same suit. Mm-hmm. Um, and then for weddings, you know, we figure out everything from the the bride's dress color to the what the groomsmen are going to be wearing, if there's any, you know, complementary colors that they want to incorporate uh, from the wedding. Um and then from after the consultation, that's when we start the measurement process. So my measurement process is a little bit different. You know, for bespoke, we take, again, a minimum of 40 measurements. It kind of depends on on the person. Um, some require different measurements than others. And I'll always request any of my clients to bring in their either best-fitting suit. And even if they don't like the fit of it, I request them to bring in something that they have. Mm-hmm. Because it kind of, kind of gives me a benchmark of, they can tell me, you know, I love the the length of the jacket, but I think the sleeves are way too short. So instead of me trying to reinvent the wheel and start from complete scratch of, of you know, guessing at some of their finished measurements, I can see, okay. Or if, you know, if they, they bring it in and, you know, they love everything about it, you know, we can just duplicate measurements. You know, I'm not too prideful in saying that if this was made by somebody else and, you know, they did well in certain areas, I'm going to copy them because at the end of the day, I want them to have the best fit as possible. And so we'll do the, the body measurements, which is, you know, a minimum of 40. Then we'll do kind of some of their measurements from their existing garments. And then I've also got some try-on suits that, you know, if they don't bring anything in they like or if, uh, you know, the jacket was way too big that they brought in, I'll put something on it a little bit trimmer, a little bit more modern fitting just to kind of give them a feel for it. Because, you know, you can take some of these body measurements, you know, all day long. But at the end of the day, it's, it's their preference measurements that really matter. Uh, because perfect example, my dad, you know, he has a 44 inch chest and he would prefer a jacket that was more like a 46 Ah. um, just because he wants it to be a little bit more roomy. But if I didn't consult him on that and kind of figure out, I could just take his body measurements and then create something that I think that he would like. But, you know, that's, that's the beauty about it being custom is that you have full control over the the fit and the, the sizing for everything. That makes sense because even though, someone may have very specific body measurements, the way they prefer to wear their suit may be totally different. Is that what you're saying? Than their actual exactly. measurements. Exactly. Yes. Yes. And I know that you have a lot of high profile clients, especially elite athletes. And I know their body build can be very different than <laughs> just a regular, a you know, person that you know just walking in off the street so tell us about some of them and how they benefit from bespoke made clothing right so a lot of my athlete clients especially nfl i mean these guys are you know very tall very broad and uh the the average drop from about your chest to your midsection is on average about four inches Mm -hmm. um some of these guys have up to 12 inches i mean it's it's remarkable their body shape (laughs) And so it's, it, I always joke and say that they're the reason I'm in business because they would never be able to find something off the rack that's going to remotely fit them. Right. Um, it's, it's, it's always a fun fit because, you know, once they put it on and even some of my clients that aren't, you know, at the professional athletes, they still have body shapes like that. And it's, it's always a joyous feeling to see them, you know, put on a suit for the first time and, you know, the reaction on their face is just, Oh, it, it, it fits. <laughs> I'm not used to this because it's hard to find this off the rack. So athletes in particular, um, they're, they're definitely built a little bit different than, than the average person in a very good way. Yeah. Uh, but they, they benefit off it, you know, just about the most. 
That makes a lot of sense, too. It sounds like you have fun doing oh, yes. what you do. <laughs> I almost feel like I'm, I'm robbing people because it's just I get to I enjoy what I do for a living. And I look right. forward to going into the shop every morning. And it's, you know, they'll they'll be apologizing if they're taking a little bit longer. And I was like, I don't think you understand. I mean, this is a hobby I get paid for. This right. Is, this is, the only thing that I could see myself doing for the rest of my life because it's just I enjoy it. And then five years in, I haven't gotten sick of it yet. So wow, I'll, I'll continue to do it. That's some good stuff. Now, do you have a team? Do you uh, do the sewing yourself? Do you do all the measurements yourself? How does that work? We've got a team of a little bit more than 10 people, um, people that specialize in different areas of sewing. So I do pretty much all the uh, measurements, the design, pattern making, and then I've got, you know, individuals that will do sleeves, individuals that will do the base of the jacket, uh, pants, shirts, um, really everybody that, so we don't, you know, spread too thin, but at the same time, we want you to be able to concentrate on, you know, what you're best at. And that way we can readily streamline, you know, the creation of a suit a lot quicker. Um, and that way I can service a lot more people because if, if I was doing everything myself, <laughs> I wouldn't be able to service as near as many clients as I, I currently have because it's, right. it's a lot of work that goes into to one suit and it's a lot easier if you can concentrate on, you know, what you're best at and then source to somebody else on the team that is better at a different area than you. Um, so that way you kind of just stay in your lane and everything's a lot more efficient and complete that way. I heard that. Yeah. So you have also a degree in business management. How has that been beneficial for you in starting and running your business? I would say very beneficial. Um, hindsight's twenty twenty, but I wish I would have majored in entrepreneurship. I didn't even, never crossed my mind when I was in college that this was going to be something I was going to do. In fact, I'm, I come from a, a family business here in Nashville that uh, my my dad and my cousin started and it's a it's a big family business my whole family worked there and that was what I thought I was going to do after college which I did for a couple of years mm-hmm. and uh, I think between the growing up in an entrepreneurial household and then having my business degree those two definitely complemented well when starting out because you know a, a lot of companies similar to mine if, if they don't have a business mindset of you know it might be their hobby that they're getting paid for but if they can't scale and grow and, and figure out ways to kind of weather storms such as COVID, um, then it's it's going to hurt them kind of in the long run. So, you know, business, again, entrepreneurship. In fact, I, I've taken some courses ever since I started the business on entrepreneurship because it is, uh, it's a lot of work. It's, yeah. it's fun. And I, I joke, I say, if I wasn't as passionate about what I do for a living, I never in a million years would start my own business because I truly think that's what's going to keep you, you know, Going through the hard times is is if you love what you do, then that's all that matters. I want to dig into that a little bit because entrepreneurship, it's a small word, but it's a huge responsibility. Tell our listeners, if you will, Stephen, what are some of the things that they need to consider if they're getting ready or thinking about starting a business, especially a brick and mortar business like you have, what are some of the first things they need to consider before they even get their first client? I've always said, and this I'll take it to the grave with me. If you're wanting to start your own business, you know, I think nowadays everybody that's what they want to be as an entrepreneur. They don't know what they want to do, but they just want to own their own business. And, mm-hmm. and again, I'm not the one that, that grew up wanting to do that. So I, I had to kind of approach this the opposite way. But 
I've always said, if you can stand to work a day, a week, a month, a year, and not make a single dime from what you've done for that entire time, then I think you're going to be able to make it because many, many weeks and months that I've, I've not paid myself. I wasn't able to starting out. I had other jobs. I drove Uber. I worked part-time at a, at a store around the corner from uh, where my shop is now. Um, I did everything I could to kind of keep the lights on because I knew that, you know, now we have upwards of 10, 15, 20 appointments a week, whereas I would have probably one a week and that was a good week for me. So you're not going to make the money in the beginning and you're going to have to sacrifice a lot of time. It doesn't come easy. And it's, it's kind of like when people say, when you start turning certain ages, you know, things start hurting more and, yeah. and it's, you're a little bit more sore and then you don't realize it till it happens. And that was kind of, you know, with me, with entrepreneurship is people had always talked about how hard it was and, you know, how many hats you have to wear in the beginning when it's just yourself. And it was a frustrating process for a lot of it. And that's why I relied on, you know, people that, when I first started, I, I took people out to coffee, lunch, drinks, anything to, to pick their brain. It didn't have to be in you know fashion per se, but you know when you started your business, what was the you know your biggest regret of a mistake that you made, or you know what was something that really helped you out in the beginning? And I just tried to soak up as much knowledge as possible. It didn't matter what the industry was, because um, it's, it's not exactly like I can go to my competitors and ask them right. you know, what <laughs> what mistakes they made in the beginning. But uh-huh. I thought. I found a good way to, to find complementary industries that, you know, might be pretty similar and, and model to mine um, and kind of feed off of them. And and that's what I've also always told everybody is that, you know, pay it forward because now I enjoy speaking to groups on my journey through it. And if yes. I can help somebody out, doesn't matter what business it's, you know, it's fun for me, whether friends or people to reach out and say, Hey, can I just, can I take you out to coffee? And it's, you know, it's full circle because I'm, I'm sitting there thinking like, I still have a lot to learn, but somebody's asking, you know, my advice. And it's like I said, just kind of the beauty about it is, is if you're willing to help other people no different than the way that you were helped, then it's going to be a lot better for you in the long run. It's one of the reasons we are so thankful that you're on the show today to give us some insight. We appreciate you paying it for for us. Thank you so much. Yeah, I appreciate my that. My pleasure. My yeah. pleasure. So I want to know, how did you get your first clients? Was it more relational? Was it uh, word of mouth? How how did you get get them in the door? So... <laughs> It's kind of funny. I, my very first client, in fact, he texted me yesterday, um, congratulating me on the, the news coverage for uh, Patrick Mahomes' Super Bowl suit. And it reminded me, I was like, you were my very first client, the very first suit I ever sold. And originally, since I'm, I'm born and raised here in Nashville, so it's not like I started out with a book of business, but I started out with a book of you know people to, to contact and to, again, take them to lunch, to coffee and say, hey, this is what I'm doing. Um if you know of anybody that's interested in what I'm providing, please let me know. And, and, you know, I'd love to get started with them. So I, I, I hate sales, which is a terrible thing to say since I'm literally, that's all I do. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm the least pushy salesperson I'll ever meet. Um, that's just, I've, I've been approached by people that are a lot more persistent that I, you know, it just kind of bugs me. And so for the whole, uh, I don't know, starting out, I, I, I wasn't trying to say, Hey, you know, I want to take you to coffee and Hey, by the way, do you need a suit? It started out more of word of mouth. Um, and originally I, I, I was so naive. I didn't think I needed a website because I said, I don't have e-commerce. You can't buy anything on my website because everything's made to order. It's custom made. So 
I didn't think I needed one. Uh, and then, you know, two of my best friends now, they have a company like mine up in Minneapolis. They, they told me you're, you're an idiot if you don't have a website, because how are people going to find you? That's I was like, true. Oh, I've got an, inst- I've got an Instagram. And they said, well, that's not going to cover it. So uh, I still remember the, when I first created my website, they helped me out up in Minneapolis when I was there. And when I got back home, I'm sitting there on the couch and I just get an email and it says, uh, an appointment request. And I freaked out. I was like, wait a minute. Like, they don't even know who I am and they're wanting to come in and buy a suit from me. Right. And, now what did they do that uh, on the website? Is that what you're saying? Yes. So oh. they, they Googled, you know, custom suit Nashville and came across my page. And then I was like, oh, okay, well now I, I understand how this type of marketing works and I need to you know pay a lot more attention to my website and to my Google presence and, you know, everything around that. Because originally I just thought, you know, Instagram is going to do well. It's going to take off and everyone's just going to be, DMing me and wanting to book an appointment, but that that wasn't the case. And so then once once uh, the Google presence and website presence started to you know scale up a little bit, that's when again I, I still to this day. I mean, four and a half years later, I look at it when somebody emails in, and I'm like, this is crazy. Like I've never met this person in my entire life, and they're trusting me to come in and and buy a suit from me. But I you know I realized that it wasn't going to be overnight. It was going to take a little bit of time and. And I still say to this day, I mean, I a lot of my clients that are coming in, I'd know them somehow, whether it was mm-hmm. from networking right out of college when I'd be working for my dad and I just got to know a lot of people. And then they found out what I was doing and maybe they didn't need a suit at the time. But, you know, when it was time that if they were getting married or if they needed one for, for work that they knew who to call him. So it's again, it's it's fun because, you know, anybody that comes in here, it's they're never the same. It's always different types of people and different needs and. So it's it's nice because you know every appointment's different and it's it's always enjoyable to to see people come in and go through the process. Is it word of mouth for them like if you make a, a suit for them do you find that they tell their friends? Yes, um and we've we've started tracking uh and that's the other thing about if you're wanting to to be an entrepreneur is you you have to adapt every year to things that are changing and so starting last year I finally started keeping up with uh, you know, how'd you hear about us? Because I always thought that was kind of like an arrogant question. Mm-hmm. And I was always afraid to ask it. And then I realized, well, this is, you know, kind of important in the sense that if people are coming in, I, I want to figure out where I need to be pumping more money into to branding and marketing. And if it's all coming in through Google, or if it's all coming in through Instagram, you know, you kind of know where to spend your time the most. And so we on our inquiry page on our website, it's, you know, how'd you hear about us? And there's a few drop down options. And then if none of those were it, then you've got an opportunity to put other and most of the time, it's it's coming from Google. That's where they'll say that they found us. Or, you know, if it was a client referral, they'll say who it is. And, you know, we always reach out to them and thank them. And we have like a referral program to where if you come in, buy a suit, and then you refer somebody else that buys a suit, you know, you get a percentage off your next purchase for, for referring them. So that way we can, you know, keep them to have them keep us in mind, you know, whenever they're talking to somebody that needs what we're providing. Um, but word of mouth, I would say, especially in Nashville, like I don't, I don't think I could have gone to any other city and, you know, grew and, and scaled as quickly as I did here just because I, again, I started out with a, you know, I knew of a lot of people. Um, mm-hmm. And that's kind of the beauty about being born and raised here. But uh, it's uh, now, it, you know, I think about it. And if I didn't have a Google presence, I mean, my, or a website, I mean, my business wouldn't be a quarter of what it is now. And wow. it's, it's really, that was the, the best decision I could have made early on is focusing more on that side of the business as opposed to just, you know, 
trying to get people in myself because I've, I've still to this day, I've never made a cold call and I never will. Um, some people are good at it. Mm-hmm. You know, I've got a competitor here in town that that's what they're known for. And, you know, they're the world's largest at what they do. And, you know, it's just, it's not me. I'm, I'm not good at trying to call somebody and convince them, you know, you should come by and, and get a suit. That's, that's just not me. Um, so I'll, I'll do some, you know, warm introductions to where somebody says, Hey, I was talking to so-and-so the other day and they mentioned that they needed a suit. Here's their contact information. But mm-hmm. if, if they don't, uh, I'm not going to, again, be persistent of, you know, beating up their phone or email once a week, trying to get them in the door. You know, I, I want people to come in when they're ready or when they want to. And cold calling again, I just, I, I tried it in my previous line of work and I just was not great at it. So I, I figured I'd, I'd establish relationships either, you know, around the community or, you know, growing the website and the, the Google presence first. That's good. So a part of your marketing is warm introductions, people that you know, people that they know and so forth. It seems very natural and organic. And it sounds like that helped you to really focus on the quality of the work that you do. And maybe even when they come in, it doesn't feel so awkward, perhaps. I would say yes. And in fact, anybody that come, you know, books an appointment, whether it's through the website, Instagram, over the phone, you know, we always try to have a pre-conversation even before the consultation when they come in, uh, simply because, you know, I want to know what they're looking for. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of have a, especially, you know, we'll, we'll encourage them to say, Hey, if there's anything you're particularly interested in, whether it's suit, sport coat, jeans, uh, shirts, if there's anything you have in mind already that maybe you're looking for a certain pattern or color, you know, we'll do a little bit of homework and, and go ahead and pull out some fabric books that, you know, have what they're requesting just so that, you know, we can streamline the process and, and, you know, really consult them on what patterns and colors they're looking for. And, and the best fit for them. After you got your first client, how did you begin to scale? You mentioned being able to scale your business and sustain the business. And you mentioned not paying yourself for a while. How did you, I know that you did some work at different places to save your money, but how did, how did you scale? Did you have other investors? Just, just tell me how. I started out with my savings account of $2,500. That is strictly it. And that's why I, I wouldn't pay myself a lot is because I kept reinvesting into my business, even though I could have taken home a certain amount from a sale, you know, I left it there. And that's why I was, I drove Uber. I'd probably wake up at about 4.30 in the morning, drive Uber from about five to maybe seven, eight, uh, do the airport crowd. And then I'd go to work. I'd, I'd, be kind of strategizing between appointments, trying to figure out, you know, how can I reach more people? And then if I'd have a slower day, I'd hop in the car. And I'd, I, that was the beauty about Uber is because you can turn it on when you want and turn it off when you want. So I would maybe drive in between appointments. And I, I even got to the point where I'd carry like my hanging bags with my logo on it. I'd be wearing a suit, driving people for Uber. And they'd ask, why are you, you know, why are you shirt and a tie? And yeah. I would mention what I was doing and, you know, they got all excited about it and were like, well, do you have a card? And so I I'd probably, I guess after work, I'd probably drive from about 7 p.m. till about midnight. Mm-hmm. And that was my main source of income for about a little bit over a year. And I just kept reinvesting in the business and trying not to pay myself. You know, I pay myself as little as possible, uh, just what I would kind of need. 
Um, and I, I could have looking back on it, I could have, you know, found investors and raised some capital and, and done it a little bit more of a strategic way, but looking back on it, you know, I don't, I don't owe anybody any money and it's, it's nice to kind of weather the storm throughout the beginning. And, but then I, I did realize, you know, why you do seek out investors. And that's something that I didn't really understand in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, because I said, I was like, well, everything, I don't have much overhead. You know, I've got hangers, hanging bags. Um, other than that, you know, people, when they're purchasing a suit, you know, it's, we have a deposit, mm-hmm. um, which cover, you know, most of the manufacturing costs and some other things. So it's, you know, I, I didn't think I needed, you know, a bunch of capital, raise a bunch of money in the beginning, but that's when I realized, okay, well, you know, a marketing expense to have somebody on retainer to help you out with, you know, getting your name out there mm-hmm. or hiring somebody to professionally build you a website. Um, little things like that, where I realized it's like, okay, I could, I could have started with, you know, five, 10, 15, $20,000 of, basically jump starting a lot of the things that I did, but that's, that's when I truly understood the term bootstrapping, which I'd always learned in college. And then I, you know, I lived it and I understood it's, if you can weather it, you know, it's a lot more rewarding towards the end, but then vice versa. I mean, some companies that start out with, you know, seeking out investors that they're able to jumpstart the process a lot quicker. And yes, they will be paying some people back for a little while, but you know, they're able to skip a few steps of, having to wait around a little bit longer. Um, but yeah, so once, once I started getting my, I think, gosh, 2016, I think I had $20,000 in sales, mm-hmm. <laughs> which obviously that's not what you're going to be living off of. Right. Um, I was, I was very strict. I didn't go out on the weekends. I didn't, I didn't plan any trips. I pretty much just worked around the clock because I knew that I wasn't going to be able to, you know, make a whole lot of money in the beginning. And I lived off of, it was $35 a week for food. Mm-hmm. Um, I ate, two eggs for breakfast, a peanut butter sandwich for lunch and frozen chicken and vegetables for dinner. And I did that for about two years. And I realized it's, you know, again, if I wasn't as passionate about this as I am, never in a million years would I have gone through that to be where I am now. Yes, absolutely. That is so inspiring to me. And I know our our listeners are going to just take this to heart because a lot of times People think that starting, running, maintaining a business is something that is easy or that you can just do overnight. But what you're saying is it takes work, dedication, and in a lot of ways, many sacrifices to get where you want to be, especially if you don't want to owe anybody in the end. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And a lot of your marketing is so amazing because I looked at your Instagram and I'm thinking, how can I get a suit? That's the beauty about this, yeah. this industry is that it's, it's attractive to look at pictures of it. You, yes. know, it's, you know, we're not, we're not selling insurance. It's, something that people, you know, enjoy looking at and it's, it's easy for them to browse around, you know, Instagram page or website and kind of get inspired to, Oh, well, you know what, maybe I do need a new suit for whatever occasion. Mm-hmm. And what's most interesting to me is all the different types of fabrics, because when you look at ready to wear garments and made to measure suits, many of them are just basic colors not very 
interesting or intriguing, but you have so many different fabrics and it makes, it makes you sit up and look like, wait a minute. I didn't even know you could do that with a suit mm-hmm. or, or for a suit. So is that one of the reasons that your clients come to you because you offer so many different styles? I would say yes. Um, that's again, if, if they've ever experienced this process before, um, and if they come in here and kind of see the, the, when I say endless options, sometimes mm-hmm. it can also be, it can also be overwhelming. In the beginning, I said, I want as many fabric books as my shop will allow it to hold. And then I realized if you spread yourself too thin with too many fabrics and you can't really concentrate on the, the ones that, you know, like I, I, that's why the consultation, if somebody comes in and says, Hey, you know, I, I travel on a plane three days a week, you know, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm only going to not only going to show them, but I'm going to consult them and say, Hey, this is the best fabric for travel. It's the best on wrinkles. You can wad it up and throw it in your suitcase and it's fine. Um, so it's, it's in the beginning, it, I, I didn't, I didn't learn about the fabrics as much as I should have. And that's when kind of being salesy, which I hate that term, but it's, it really is consulting somebody on, you know, if you only wanted to spend, you know, X amount, but the suit that you're looking for, I'm not trying to upsell you, but this is going to check off all the boxes that you need with it. Nice. Um, and that's when I started doing a lot of research on these fabrics and I'd go meet with the fabric mills. You know, I've, I've gone to London and Paris and, and then within the United States, New York, Chicago, um, sat down with these fabric mills and said, you know, what do these fabrics mean? What, what are the benefits? What, how are they made? Um, what is, what is something that I can, you know, tell my clients and, and really deep dive into the construction of the fabric that makes it what it is. Mm -hmm. And that's what's, it's easy for me because I, I get to sport everything I wear and, um, you know, when somebody's telling me like, Hey, I've got this issue typically with, with suits, I tell them this fabric's perfect for it. You're going to love it. You know, if they get, you know, heated a little bit too quickly and, and hot natured, you know, I tell them this fabric is very porous. It's very breathable. It's the way that it's woven that kind of gives it a little bit of release of air throughout it. And, you know, that's going to make you a lot more comfortable. So it's, again, it's, I, I hate the term sales, but it's, you know, you're really, you really are you know, selling somebody on what they actually need. And I think that's, it's almost like a, a game for me is when somebody mm-hmm. comes in, it's like trying to figure out the, you know, the absolute perfect fabric for them. And, you know, I'd never want somebody to leave saying, you know, I spent way more than I intended on. Um, and vice versa is that, you know, I, I left not knowing what the fabrics actually meant and he just sold me a suit just so he could get a sale. Mm, um, yeah. So it's, it's a lot that goes into it with the, the knowledge about the fabrics that, you know, we just got a bunch of our new spring summer books in and, you know, I'm, I'm studying them. I'm literally studying them to where flipping through each fabric and, and figuring out the patterns and the colors and the construction of it and how it's made and what the benefits are. And, um, so that way I can, you know, better advise any of my clients that come in, you know, what the fabrics are and, and what they're best for. Right. Now, do you do pop-up shops or, uh, consider fashion shows i know we're in the midst of a pandemic but is that something you've done in the past or something you plan to do in the future um pop-up shops i've never had much success with them and i think one of the reasons is and some people do in my industry some people only do pop-up shops they'll travel to every city that they can and you know post up at a hotel or some type of social club and and sell to people that they've never met before, um, just because they attended whatever you know show it was. And uh, honestly, I've just I've never had much success. And I think it's one of those things that you almost have to be 
concentrate on it fully. Um, mm-hmm. Because for me, it's, you know, I'll, I'll bring a bunch of suits that I'll have on display. And it's not like it's a, a t-shirt or, a, a you know, a very small uh, priced item that they're, you know, it's an investment. And that's what I, I tell people is that, you know, when you, if you, I've, I've worked at certain, you know, fashion related events that, you know, people from, they make candles all the way to make suits. And right. I realized that, you know, it's a very intimate process for getting measured. And it's a conversation that you don't want to have in a big retail store, whether it's price, whether it's fit. Um, some guys are pretty vulnerable when it comes to how things fit. And, mm-hmm. you know, they don't, they don't want to be discussing it in the middle of a, you know, a big room with a lot of people. And that's one of the, also the reasons that, you know, my shop is by appointment only. And sometimes that's, very hard to convey to people if they've never experienced the process. And, you know, we do occasionally get some walk-ins and it never fails that I'm in another appointment. And I tell them, look, if I was free, you know, we could meet right now, but you know, it's a one in one out for a reason because I need to concentrate on who's there that scheduled the appointment and, Mm -hmm. you know, cater to them before anything else. And, um, so it's, it's sometimes it's a double-edged sword, but uh, I would say that pop-up shops, you know, I'm still, you know, always willing to do them. It's just kind of, I've started vetting them a little bit better of it's really, if I'm doing that, it's, it's kind of getting the word out. It's, it's not necessarily making sales that day. Right. Okay. Yes. I got it. I got it. And speaking of investments, what is your price point? Where does your price point start? So suits start out around a thousand, um, work their way up to the price of a car. Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. Again, it's just the, I always tell people that, you know, even at our entry level, which I, I hate calling it that because it kind of belittles the the fabric, but even our entry level, it's a great fabric. It's kind of like buying a Mercedes, no matter what, you know, class you get, it's going to be a great car, but the more you spend, the higher you go up, the more bells and whistles that come with it. So, right. you know, ones that fabrics that have natural stretch, which is by far our, our hottest selling fabric is something that they can have that trimmer silhouette, but still be comfortable in it, you know, have a little bit of give with it being natural stretch or, if, you know, fabrics that are better on wrinkles or more breathable, uh, stain and water resistant, um, price points for those. The, the only two factors that go into pricing of a suit is the price of the fabric. So the cost per yard and then how many yards it's going to need to make your suit. So, after we measure you, we calculate the yardage real quick. And so we order, you know, up to as close to an eighth of a yard of what we'll actually need. Mm-hmm. Um, that way, you know, we're keeping our costs down because everything's, you know, pulled from an original bolt of fabric. It's not like it's, you know, pre pre done. I mean, everything is, is literally from scratch. So the two, you know, price factors are the amount of yardage needed to make the suit and then what that, you know, cost per yard is. Again, bespoke made clothing. Sounds like it speaks for itself. There you go. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and exactly. the last the last question I want to ask you, and again, I appreciate your time so very much. For the listeners that are interested in maybe s- starting a business that is personalized like yours is, what would be some of the advice you would give them so they don't have to be salesy or just trying to get anybody that they can in the door so that they can really niche down and focus on what they really love, plus not be afraid that they won't make money. 
That's an interesting question because I can say from personal experiences, I figured out what worked for me and mm-hmm. what didn't work. And you'll, you'll hear a lot of people say, you know, you need to be uncomfortable. You need to go outside your comfort zone. I never once have, and I never once will because if there's a way that you can sell and to meet people and to sell to them that <clears throat> you'll find a way for that to, to work. Um, you know, I, again, I don't like to ever be pushy or to be persistent and, you know, to bug people. And that was, you know, kind of, the, I stayed in my own lane. Um, find whatever makes you the most comfortable with selling. Um, and it, it really just depends on the person and kind of down the road of, you know, if, if you're feel comfortable, you know, getting on the phone, beating it up and making, you know, 60 calls a day and booking five appointments and selling to two people, if that's the route that, you know, you want to take and that you're comfortable with and do it. But if, you know, if it's something more as where you'd rather be a more relationship type, um, I guess, salesperson, uh, it's getting out in the community and, you know, meeting people, whether it's networking events, hopefully when those kind of open back up mm-hmm. after COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just to be yourself, um, you know, your, your morals, your values, ethically, everything, um, is to, to always do what makes you feel most comfortable and then, you know, kind of the right thing to do, which you know, every client that comes in the door, it's like, they're my most important client at that point. And, you know, when it comes to, to selling, I just, I don't overstep my boundaries. And even though I might not be overstepping a boundary mm-hmm. in their eyes, um, it's still, you know, I just remain in my comfort level of how I sell and, you know, who I meet with. And, you know, it just kind of goes back to, uh, you know, how I was originally envisioned my, my company and, and never stray away from that, that vision. Did you just know, or just feel, okay, if I do it my way, the, the money will come, the success will come, the, um, just the fulfillment of knowing that I did the thing that I wanted to do. Did you just trust it? Did you just trust that process? I trusted it. And again, it all goes back to passion. You know, early on, I said, if I fail, that's my fault. You know, people say, who's your biggest competitor? And I say myself, because I'm not worried about anybody else out there. Of course, I do my research and, and keep up with competitors and what's going on in the industry. But, um, you know, I, I, I was going to do whatever it took to make it work. And whether that was, you know, putting in more hours, um, I'm starting to learn to work smarter, not harder. Um mm-hmm especially with, with how many years I've probably taken off my life of starting this business. Um, <laughs> yeah. but in the, in, in the beginning, I, I just, I trusted my vision and my goal. And I, I knew that if, you know, if I failed, that was my fault. I, I think a lot of people, um, they want to blame other people, blame other circumstances, uh, COVID for example, mm-hmm. you know, I sell a, a luxury product to people that wear it out in public our sales were a little down from the year prior last year, but I still sold more than I did in years one, two, and three combined. Mm. Um, it's, you got to learn to pivot when things start getting a little bit slower. You got to figure out why then you got to figure out, all right, if people are buying, who are those people and why are they still buying and then go after people like them. Um, so people always ask, like, is it, was it scary taking the risk of, you know, going from a comfortable family business that's been around for 30 years and you really don't have to worry about, you know, the beginning stages of growing it. And I tell them, it's like, I've honestly, there's never been one morning that I've woken up and, you know, been afraid, like I'm not going to be able to make the money I need to today um, or that week or that month. And I can't even explain to you what that is in me. It's 
if anything, it's just trust, um, trust in myself, trust in my team, trust in what my business is and who I'm catering to. But, um, I've had weeks where, you know, only had a sale or two during COVID and Mm -hmm. it was discouraging. Yes. But at the end of the day, if, if you're smart about managing your cash flow and scaling the business at the time and knowing that, yeah, I might've had a, a sale in a day that was my sales goal for the month, but that doesn't mean, you know, the next two months are going to be like that. You could have that. And then for the next two months, you won't sell a thing. So mm-hmm. you kind of have to weather it. And that's when, you know, the classes I took on entrepreneurship, you know, the money to set aside almost a savings account within your business of, all right, well, something like a pandemic happens, then I'm fine. I'm going to be okay because I've prepared for it. I didn't think that I'd have an economic downturn in my first, you know, five, 10 years of starting the business. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that kind of goes back to when, and I'm, I'm, I definitely have sympathy for any business that has closed because there's, you know, restaurants, things like that, small mom and pop type restaurants or shops that, you know, they, they couldn't weather that storm because of circumstances that were kind of out of their control. But you know, I also, I have sympathy for them. And at the same time, I say that, you know, you can't ever use anything else as an excuse. Um, it doesn't matter if, and I I think I learned this early on from, you know, my dad's company because he had a, he had a fire in his industry and he stored, he stored paper for a living, Mm. um, boxes of paper and he Mm -hmm. had a fire and insurance company walked away from him. Employees walked away from him. He didn't take a paycheck here. My mom and my cousin for years and they got through it. And, this was probably 20 years ago. So it's, you can't think of something that's a hiccup that, you know, you're going to blame that for why you fail. And again, it's, it's hard to, to, you know, sound like I'm sympathetic to the companies that might've closed during COVID because I definitely feel for them. It's, it's unfair, but it's, I think the ones that are going to survive are the ones that have either prepared for it uh, before ever knowing something like this was going to happen or they, you know, when, once it does happen, they pivot and figure out, you know, ways to strategize to, to make more money or to, you know, stay in business. So for me, that was always the, you can't blame anybody else. I can only control myself. That is the only thing I can control in this industry. Mm-hmm. And I'm also, I'm, I'm not pessimistic. I would say I'm, I, I say I'm more of a realist, but I always, I always plan for, you know, what if, you know, my shop were to burn to the ground and that sounds so morbid, but I've got to have some backup plans. Um, or if, you know, we're, some of my suits, the fabrics come from or where they're made. I, I need to figure out if something happens to them. You know, if something happens for shipping, I've always got to have a backup and the strategizing. That's what's hard about a company is that starting a company is because you can, you put in a lot of work for a lot of ifs, not, you know, actuals. And, you know, for me through COVID people, had, I had a lot of people to reach out and I greatly appreciated because they were thinking of me, but they said, Hey, you know, I know it's probably hard for a small business right now. And, I tell them, I was like, well, I'm, you know, again, I'm selling, I'm, I'm fine. I'm, my overhead's low. So I'm able to kind of weather this a little bit better than maybe some other people, but you know, I'm, I'm not worried about it. And I, again, I, there wasn't a morning that I woke up through this entire pandemic where I was like, all right, well, I'm going to have to shut the doors. Right. This isn't going to work and I'm not going to be able to get through it. And it also, I guess another part of that is because I, I didn't really owe any investors anything. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was a little bit easier for me to not have to worry about, you know, certain payrolls or expenses. And if anything, it, it taught me through COVID to, all right, let's look back at what I'm spending every month and what my balance sheet, P&L statements, you know, what am I spending money on that I honestly don't need right now? Right. Um, and that was kind of huge for me to, to cut some ties with 
vendors that I was, you know, purchasing stuff from on a monthly basis that honestly I didn't need or that I could tell them, Hey, you know, give me a little bit. I'll get back into business with you here soon, but this isn't as much of a priority as, you know, my clients are. Steven, you have, oh, wow. I, I'm speechless because you have just given us so much to think about especially about pivoting during this time of COVID. And I just want to say thank you. Thank you for sharing all of this information with us. I know our listeners are going to be so grateful to you. And I want them to be able to get in touch with you and see the work that you're doing. So tell them how they can find Richard's Bespoke. Uh, Yes, Instagram is a big one. Uh, it's Instagram handles Richards underscore bespoke and then website richardsbespoke.com. You can emails on the website and on, on, uh, Instagram. If you ever want to reach out, whether it's, if you need a suit or if you just want to pick my brain, I'd be happy to help in any way. Awesome. Richards bespoke. I'm going to tell my husband about it. He's, he's got to <laughs> know. He wears suits just about every day. Um, (laughs) um, so definitely going to tell him about it. Thank you so much, Stephen, for being on the show and hopefully we'll get a chance to talk again soon. Thank you very much. I greatly appreciate it. Awesome. Bye-bye. Awesome. Did you enjoy today's episode and want to find out more about fashion resources that can help your brand or business? If so, join our mailing list at www.fashionalumni.com to get the latest updates. Also, if you're a fashion business owner and need your own custom website like fashionalumni.com, contact our personal web designer at www.emmanuelbiz.com. Until next time, be intentionally and authentically you.